Blog Talk Radio. Podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And Hannah, I am so sorry I did not get to bring you on. This is a kind of a quick start, but I, it says you're there. Are you there? <laughs> Hannah? Oh, no. We have a guest today, and it sort of sounds like we may have lost her. But I am just going to wait and hope that she will call back in. Let's talk about what today's show is. Uh, We are going to be revisiting with a great SLP mom who was on a few shows back. This is show number 326. She was on show number 322, and she is calling back in to give us an update of what happened. Now, she was on the line waiting, and then there were some – okay, I think she's back now. Let's see. Hello. There you are! Woohoo! <laughs> I'm kind of stalling. I can hear going. you, but you. <laughs> I know, here. good deal. All right. So, <laughs> I'm glad you made it. I'm glad we got you back. That's great. All right. So, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that you were on a few shows back and that we are having you back now. And I had a show about you and your wonderful little boy, Caden, kind of in between. But let's go back mm-hmm. for anybody who. Is is needs a little jog their memory on uh, what's going on, and so tell us just a little synopsis about Sweet Little Caden again, and then we'll kind of kind of revisit. Okay, Caden is my first child. He is four and a half now. Um, I found Laura's website just looking for different things that I could do with Caden and. I know that he's a little bit older than the early intervention that Laura typically deals with, but everything that she was saying described exactly what I needed to be doing with Caden. He's four and a half, but he's still nonverbal. Um, he understands a lot receptively. This is all contributing to his rare diagnosis of MCM, which stands for macrocephaly capillary malformation. Um, it's He was born with a very large head, um, has some brain abnormalities as well, so it affects him globally, meaning receptive language, expressive language, um, walking, everything physically, fine motor, but he's come much farther than anyone ever said he would. Um, He is walking now, so um, just lots of things to work on, but he's making progress with everything, so... Good deal. And let's remind everybody, Hannah, that you are a speech pathologist, but you do not work with little ones. You see adults, mm-hmm. right? So that that yep. makes a difference. So I want to remind everybody Absolutely. of that. Do have kind of a different take on some of these things than just moms who are listening who are not therapists, and then you have a different take than a therapist who's listening who's not a mom of a kid <laughs> with a language delay. And so I right. think this is uh, such an important thing for listeners to kind of remember there because you've got your feet firmly planted in both camps (laughs) with understanding language development and knowing what to do but not really practicing professionally that way because you see a different population, a different focus, but at the same time you've got that mom piece going on and you are at a real 
uh, have a real advantage and a real benefit because you've got this background, which helps you really, really understand kids who have some learning differences and special needs and certainly kids with other um, physical uh, and medical diagnoses. So you're kind of right there in the middle. So anybody who's listening, I want them to really be sure to think about that position that you're in because it's pretty unique. So I wanted to be sure that we mentioned that. All right, so since we talked, our plan was we had you on that first show, gave, you know, really gave a good history then of Caden. We walked through the 11 prerequisite skills that toddlers master before words emerge, and we talked about his strengths and his weaknesses based on kind of that walkthrough show. And, again, if you're a listener, go back and listen to show number 322 because that's where we, we did all that. And let me just say, Hannah, I got so many emails from parents and so many from therapists who said that was super helpful to walk through right. that whole process really hear you talk about him and really listen to what you were saying. And, again, it kind of gave them a different perspective uh, with you wearing both hats here, mom and SLP. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be sure that we mentioned that again. And then the next show, I went ahead and did that next show about Caden, and we had you scheduled to participate, but life intervened and you had <laughs> another baby. <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, you were a few weeks early on that. <laughs> so how was I was in the hospital. Oh, it's good. I was, for the listeners, I was in the hospital in labor, and I was like, oh, my goodness, our pot tomorrow. <laughs> so I was texting Laura while I was in labor. Um, things are kind of hectic here, but they're they're getting better. Our baby is now almost six weeks, so I'm getting a little bit more sleep, and, and things are kind of getting back to normal. <clears throat> well, you sound great. You don't sound sleep deprived or just <laughs> worn out. You sound upbeat and happy and energetic, so I am glad to hear it. And you have another little boy in between Caden and your new baby, so you really have your hands full. Yes, yes, we do. Three kids under five, so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right, so that's another really important point, too. So all the things that we talk about with Caden, we really need to be sure that these are things, these recommendations and suggestions are ideas that are doable because nothing is more frustrating than to get a lot of ideas and then think this is not going to work for my family because, you know, it's too elaborate or we can't just get it in there, worked in our schedule or whatever. So that's another really, really good point. All right, so let's talk about sort of let's pick up where we were. And let me say, too, that I sent Hannah a long email and said, hey, these are the things that I'm going to ask you so that if in case she was in that sleep-deprived state <laughs> that she could – Think about some of these questions, and so we have, I've, she did such a good job of uh, responding, so I know what she's really going to, her answers for some of these questions, uh, just kind of in full disclosure, we've, we've talked about what he's doing, and he is making some good progress. So let's walk through some of these things, and you just update us on what's gone on with him in this six six or seven week time. Now, when we talked about him before on the show, we decided that when we were going down that 11 skills list, and again, for those of you who are new to the show, that's from my new therapy manual, Let's Talk About Talking. And so when we would talk about him, the piece that just kept jumping out to me is initiation, that he, that Caden is a superb responder, 
but not always taking that first step to let you know what he wants. And you felt like that so many of the things that he's doing, he's got some good strengths. He's signing and using an AAC device, but you felt like that it was pretty cute and that you were always kind of had to, having to go first, and he was more um, – kind of comfortable in that responding role rather than initiating. So as do you remember when we were going through that list and I would say, gosh, I think he's not doing that because he's not initiating. And then we would go on to the next thing and I would say, I think that's initiating. And so by the end, I think of that show, we were both pretty convinced that if we took initiation as kind of the overall focus, that that's a big uh, area of weakness that we could help him really, really improve. And then we said, and we said that he was doing some signs, but not always using them spontaneously. And I asked you just about other kinds of nonverbal things to communicate. And that we said he didn't really point or use a lot of other gestures, and he didn't really do a lot of that on his own when you weren't cueing him. And then we talked about his motivators, what he really liked, and you told me about the Mickey Mouse show. So we kind of came up mm -hmm. with some ways for you to really wait him out a little bit and then to work on pointing with him because that one nonverbal gesture pulls together <laughs> working on, on what his little missing pieces seem to be. So kind of take it from there, Hannah, and update us on what's happened. As soon as the show was over, um, my husband and I, we, I had my husband listen to the show, and we went over everything, and we said, okay, we're going to buckle down, and we're just going to focus on pointing. At the, during our last show, it, Laura brought it to my attention, and it made me realize Caden had kind of started to master a lot of the 11 skills, but hadn't fully mastered all of them, or many of them, because we were all over the place. And it, we were focusing on too many things. So we said, we're just going to focus on pointing. So what we started to do was we would, Eric and I, my husband, Eric and I, started pointing all the time. So if I was going to get a drink, I would point to it and say, I want that. Um, if I wanted to watch television, I would point to the television and say, I want that. Um, and so then any time that we knew what Caden was wanting to do, which usually we would enable him and just give it to him or try to get him to sign, but again, that's us initiating it, um, right. we would take his little finger and he, luckily we had started pointing to things like in books before that, Caden never used his yeah. pointer finger at all, but we had gotten him to where he knew what we meant when we said, give, give me your pointer finger, or I would say, um, show me your pointer. Um, and so uh -huh. I would do that and he would get his pointer finger out and then I would do hand over hand and I would take his finger and I would point to the television and I would say, I want that. Um, uh -huh. The biggest thing that we saw progress with was putting Grayson, which is my middle child now, we would put his food and Caden's food in the middle of the table and both of their drinks in the middle of the table because food is also a huge motivator for Caden. Um, we would put it in the middle of the table and they did not get it until they pointed to it and said, I want that. So we've pulled the, our... Yeah, we've pulled our other sibling into this as well. So he has to point to his right. food and point to the toys that he wants. Right. Um, and just we did hand over hand for maybe two days, and then Caden started doing it on his own. Um, he, I told oh, Laura yeah. in my email, he has his little pointer finger out. Like he walks from his bedroom to the living room with his pointer finger out, just ready to point <laughs> to something now. Um <laughs> We just had breakthrough after breakthrough of him pointing to the television on his own. And we're like, oh, you want that? You want Mickey Mouse? And we immediately would give it to him. Um, 
but some of the most exciting things were usually if Caden's just whining and we don't really know what he wants, we assume he's whining because he wants to watch Mickey Mouse. But there was a time that he was in the kitchen and he was whining and he pointed to up on the bar, on our tall bar in the kitchen, and he was pointing to a toy that he had gotten for Christmas that does not light up and it does not make noise. It You just oh, push Mickey's awesome. head and you push it down and the car takes off and he just loves that toy now. And he was pointing to that toy telling me that he wanted that. And I would have never dreamed that he was whining because he wanted that toy. So that's one of the first times you, that Caden's been able to really tell us what he wants. It was very exciting. That is very exciting. And so let me ask you this. Do you think, Hannah, that you just kind of thought that the whine was that watching Mickey is just kind of his default activity, or is that his default activity? So so it's, that's just what what he – I mean, that's his favorite thing, right? Yes, absolutely his favorite thing. Bad and food. Okay. All right. Good deal. So the things that you did there, you picked his best motivators too. And let me just say, uh, buying a car with Mickey on it because he loves the Mickey show, that is perfect because you've given him a bridge, a way to kind of expand that natural activity preference that is you know, again, there's no arguing with what he likes. He likes what he likes. But you've figured mm-hmm. out, you know, gosh, this is a way. And that that made a, br- a good bridge to play. And like before you said that he didn't really like or wasn't too interested in toys that didn't light up. And you've gotten him now this toy that's a pretty traditional toy, but it's something, you know, again, he's got that carryover from, the show that he really likes the same character in that little toy. So that's fantastic that you found that. Good. Have, have you tried those say, kind of other kinds of Mickey toys? I'm sorry. You go ahead and say what you want to have, say first, and then I'll. Yeah, he has a lot. I mean, every and anytime someone gets him a gift, it has Mickey Mouse on it. You know, Mickey Mouse towel or Mickey Mouse cup and he doesn't really seem to link the two but this toy I don't I made a game out of it of when we first when we opened it on Christmas morning we sat in the floor and I would say ready set go and he just thought that was hilarious uh-huh. so I don't know if it's truly the car or if he just likes the interaction okay. but still it's an interaction that he would not typically enjoy because it doesn't light up and it doesn't make noise um yeah, I also want to say he had before the last podcast he had never spontaneously pointed to anything to let us know what he wanted. So just in a few days of us focusing on pointing, he started initiating, pointing to things to tell us what he wanted. And the other thing that I did was I would just, like you said, I started just putting toys out of his reach. I'd put them up, the toys that light up and make noise, I was just putting them out of his reach, and he'd walk up to them, and he started pointing to them. Yay! That is (laughs) fantastic. uh, Yeah, and just those little bitty changes can make huge differences and this is what I want to say to any parents and certainly any therapist listening don't neglect to make the most obvious recommendation (laughs) because sometimes Mm -hmm. that's what we all skip we all just we don't see it or we don't think about it sometimes as a therapist that happens a lot as a parent you just don't see you know gosh why you know why didn't I already do think about that but as a therapist sometimes we think we just neglect it we don't go with what's the very simplest thing and there's a concept in ABA applied behavioral analysis called parsimony which means you go for the simplest explanation or the simplest strategy first and again, as therapists, I think we miss that all the time. We're looking for something really, really high tech or something that's, 
you know, just, uh, you know, this Ph.D. doctoral level, let me make this really complicated, when we can start with just something really easy like, hey, let's put everything he likes up higher so he can't get mm-hmm. to it, and so we give him a reason to communicate. So I love that story. I think that is just phenomenal. And I will tell that story for the rest of my career, Hannah, so thank you so much for that great experience. It was pretty phenomenal. We cried. We cried multiple times. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. That's going to make me cry now. All right, so that is fantastic. So that's where you're kind of going with initiating. So now he's not just pointing for his best two motivators, or I guess this would be his wind-up toys. That is another kind of motivator thing for him, too, that if you were picking all the things that he really liked, that's one of the things that we talked about. Have you seen him generalize that pointing to anything yet that he just wants you to look at or notice or anything like pointing to Grayson or the baby? Oh, yes, yes. No. He points. He points to Jacob all the time. I can say, where's okay. Jacob? And he'll point to Jacob and touch him. Um, actually, today, he he grabbed the Mickey car that he wanted to play with, and then he linked it to pointing to me. So he didn't just want the car. He oh. wanted me to play with the car in the floor with him. So that was pretty okay, amazing. Okay, that is very exciting because he's sequencing, and that is really a good indicator that his joint attention is coming along, too that he, mm-hmm. again, can use that to get your attention. And so that's the next little step. That's the next little goal. And I know we're going to talk about a lot of other things and, you know, where to go from here. But that's what I would do with pointing is think, how can I expand this? And so the next thing would be him really using that to show you objects of interest and to show you uh, just to respond and communicate other kinds of messages so that he really generalizes that ability to point and then use that gesture like all of us do. We all use pointing for lots of different things, to get somebody's attention, to specify, you know, which thing we really want. If somebody's asking us a question, you know, where's something, we can certainly use a point to respond. So think about how you can get him to use that pointing in other kinds of contexts. Because a lot of kids with language delays really will learn a new skill or, as parents like to think about it, a new trick, but they don't know how to generalize it or expand it. It kind of stays limited to one context. So that's why when I asked you about an email about give me some examples of things that he's pointing to, I was, you know, fingers crossed praying on the other end, oh, I hope she says that he does it for more than one thing. And he is. And so that's really, really yes. exciting, too. And so another thing that I would do is, um, and I know that you already said you're doing that. You're already asking him, you know, where's Jacob? Where's somebody else? Make sure that lots of other people, not just you and Dad, but that other people are really asking him that, too, so that he really takes this new little huge way to communicate with people and that he learns to use it with lots of different people and in lots of different contexts or settings for lots of different reasons. So that that's okay. good. So we need to check that off. That's a big focus, and that's a way to kind of expand that so pointing doesn't stay kind of stuck. Does that make sense? I have an example. Yeah, I have an example. I didn't realize I was okay. doing this, but since I got your book, one of your activities was to play hide-and-seek with him, and I love the uh-huh. way that you described how to play hide-and-seek with Caden because he would never – I mean, I play that with – Grayson all the time, but Caden would never show right. any interest in it. But you described to 
make dad, me and Eric would do it together, and I would, you said to say, okay, Kaden, we're going to play hide and seek. Say, bye, daddy. Daddy's going to go hide. And we did it just like you said. And then he didn't go very far. It was a blanket over his right. head, so it was very obvious where Dad was hiding, and it was really quick, right. and he loves it. We just played it this morning, um, but uh-huh. that was a way out. While we're playing hide-and-seek, Caden really likes songs, so I try to incorporate songs any way I can, so while Dad is hiding and we're going to go find him, I'll say, oh, where, oh, where could my daddy be? Oh, where, oh, where could he be? And I think this is something you even described in another activity, and I will say, is he behind the chair? And I'll make him point, and I'll say, no. And then I'll say, wherever he's okay, hiding. Listen, let me give you behind. another little goal. Let me give you another little goal. Does he shake his mm-hmm. head no? He does. Uh, that We're doing that, too. Yep. Yay! Okay, um, good. Keep I have going. to make it. I don't know that he truly understands it, but if I say, say, no, 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 then he'll shake his head, but he doesn't uh-huh. ever use it spontaneously. But we do that, too. Okay. Um, but then when we find Dad, he points to Daddy. So is that another way of expanding on the pointing? But maybe that was an absolutely, example. absolutely. That's fantastic. That is fantastic, and that's exactly what I'm talking about with having him use it for different reasons, different people, different. Uh, and you know, again, expand it to settings. So before you talked about how much he loves his grandmother, and so be sure that. Uh, I forgot if he calls her Mama, Mama. I don't know what your pronunciation Meemaw. of her little <laughs> Mama term. I knew. I thought, oh, it's something different. I forgot what it was. So be sure Mama is pointing with him, and get her she on is. board with that. Because again, yeah, if you always look at how can I take this thing that he knows how to do here at home with me, how can I get it him to use it at school? How can I get him to use it in therapy? How can I get him to use it at Mama's? How can we use it in Walmart? You know, just be sure that you're really kind of covering all your bases there because, again, that's generalization, and that makes a huge, huge difference. And uh, and let me just say one more time, that's one of the biggest issues with kids that we see who are in a lot of therapy. A lot of times they can do great things in therapy with mom, and then it doesn't get transferred to home. Or even though mom mm-hmm. is there and she's doing it, it just never kind of makes it out of the therapy room. Or if a kid's getting therapy at home, It'll happen at home, but it never happens the second they set foot outside the front door. So if you're a therapist listening or a parent listening, if there are things that you're thinking, gosh, my kid can do so much, but he just, I'm not seeing it all the time. We're just, it has to be so specific. Start just thinking, how can I get him to use this, you know, in the front yard, in the car? You know, just start really, really simple. And that's how we expand goals and how we, again, help that carryover generalization, whatever word you want to call it. So great example. And I love that you talked about that game because hide-and-seek, I can about work on any goal Mm -hmm. (laughs) with a kid using hide-and-seek because it's so fun. You've got that object permanence piece there. You know, kids are really learning. Just because I can't see something doesn't mean that it's not there. It's a huge, huge cognitive skill, and then they just think it's fun. You know, even 8-, 9-, 10-year-olds think hide-and-seek is fun. So you can use it for a long, long time to work on a lot of different things. And certainly in... Let's talk about talking. I have a hide and, a version of the hide-and-seek game in, gosh, about half of the chapters because you can really, really <laughs> work on lots of different things with that one game. So very before exciting. We, before we move on yeah. from pointing, I had one question. Something that he has okay. started doing is he's, he understands that if he points that he's going to get something, so he understands that. So there's times that he's pointing, but he's just pointing into midair. And I'm like, well, right. what do you want, Kaden? What are you trying to point to? It, 
Do you have any suggestions on what to do when he does that? Yeah, you know, I use this example from the PECS model, the Picture Exchange Communication System, given something that he doesn't want, that you know he doesn't want, because then that really teaches him to be super, super accurate. Mm. And again, it works a little easier when you're just doing, you know, two pictures right there. But if you think about the concept, if kids kind of learn, it's just so broad to say, what do you want, you know, when there are a thousand other options. But if you start kind of giving him things that he doesn't want, it just helps kids make the connection with, you know, crap, I better get more specific here because mama <laughs> might go on like this for days, you know. It just gives him a little more motivation. Let me ask you this. Before you said you could pretty much know what it is that he wanted, do you think he's expanding, like asking for different things or yes. that he's never asked for before? Do you think that's it? Well, that or I just didn't understand. You know, I was just thinking that he always wanted Mickey Mouse when he was really wanting right. to do other things. Just like me not knowing, I would never dream that he was wanting that car. So I don't know. Right. Um, I'm just realizing no, now that I there are other things. Exactly. And see, and this is probably happening at the same time. He's having a real cognitive leap right now. And so he's thinking of other things and he's wanting mm -hmm. other things. And he knows, he knows, hey, if I point, I'll get that. There's just still another step missing. So do the non-preferred thing where you give him something you know he doesn't want. And let me tell you, when I'm with a kid doing this, I will just pick up, you know, a piece of lint off the floor. I'll take my <laughs> shoe off. I'll, you know, just... You try to give them anything, especially that you think that they're not going to take. Because I think what's probably happened and what you've described with him is, you know, he might have originally wanted something else, but if you're going to turn on Mickey, he's like, hey, that's good enough for me. I can do that other thing later. Mm -hmm. Let me just stick right here with this. Yeah. And so that's doing the non-preferred thing will help. The next thing that will help ties into another question that you had with his, you said, what am I going to do about his AAC device? It's really, really hard to work on pointing and signing and the, using his device all at the same time. That's when I would really bring in his device. Okay. where when you're asking him what he wants. Now, I don't know about the device that he's using, and let me just say kind of in full disclosure, AAC is not an area of expertise for me. Usually I get kids started with that, and then I do everything I can. They're transitioning on to another program, or, you know, now I see most kids, or have in the past several years, have seen most kids consultatively, so I'm never the primary therapist. So one of the things that I'm really saying to therapist the the continuing therapist for a kid is hey you need to get on this AAC thing and figure out you know what's the best device for him what what's you know let's get a core vocabulary going here so that he's got you know enough options to pick from but not overwhelming and then for kids that I'm seeing if I if I'm living in the same city as them I do everything I can to pass them off to somebody who is fantastic with AAC because I want them to get the very best uh, advice that they can get from the get-go. And so what his therapist, I know you mentioned, I know the facility that you said he's going to for outpatient therapy, and I would assume that that therapist at that facility is pretty skilled with AAC. Is that true? And oh, you may yeah. not even yeah. want to, you may want to talk, okay. So what would so do you have enough options for him preloaded, Hannah, so that he, if you were giving him his device then, is he, can he use that in that 
context, or do you still, you know, and again, I don't know anything about his device. Well, this is what happened. We were using PEX, and he was getting very good, um, using it really well, um, making choices with it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to continue with this. I'm just going to go straight on to something on like a tablet or his iPad. I'm going to download an app because I know he can do it, and I want to go ahead and introduce it. So I went ahead and I purchased purchased a not-too-expensive app um, where he can make choices, but it's where you have to take a picture of the room and then you can quickly circle things and he can click on it and it'll tell you what it is. But it's Very it's cool. not the most. I don't I don't know. It's it's not your typical um, AAC because you can't just load all kinds of pictures. You have to take the time to take a picture of the room or the activity that you're doing. So I'm just wondering if I should go back to PEX or go forward with AAC no. with a different device. Yes. And I've actually I've been talking with his outpatient therapist and his school therapist to decide what was best. I just wondered if you had any advice on it. What and what are they telling you about that? What what's their what's their feeling on that? What, what how are y'all what, what kind of consensus are you coming to or are you just now starting to discuss that? We just started discuss the um school speech therapist had been using his iPad to have him make choices and he was using it well. Um, and we just started yes. talking about it last week, so we haven't fully okay. decided what he thinks is best yet. And then right. um, his outpatient speech therapist is going to bring in some different options next week and see how he does with them. That sounds great. And in the meantime, I would just do what you're – I would just use your uh, device that you're using there at home and just if you're in that room. So you're telling me that you can – you'll have – you already have pictures of your – rooms, right, because you said it's smart scene, mm-hmm. and again, I apologize for not knowing anything about this app, but so <laughs> I would just start asking, you know, is it this? Is it this? You show me, and just, I mean, that's when I would really bring in his AAC device, because it is obvious that he is thinking things and wanting to communicate things that he doesn't have a word or a sign or even a gesture for, you know. And so that that's how you're going to really bring in his device. And so I would just continue to kind of think. I, and, again, I hope I'm not giving you um, conflicting advice here with, you know, remember before we were saying we're doing so much, let's just kind of boil it back down and just work on a few things. That's totally applicable when you can't figure out what he wants with a gesture or a sign to you know, you, you know, or even before you even get to the gesture sign part, bring his device in and let that just be another avenue and another. And mm-hmm. I try to kind of think about kids like this as, you know, I'm going for total communication here. I don't care if he tells me on the app or with the sign or with a gesture or a word or whatever, just tell me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just think about it that way. And, and um, continue to talk, about your, talk with your other therapist so about what their best ideas would be. Um, because they may come up with something, you know, just that's going to work beautifully for y'all based okay. on getting the opportunity to work with him. And you know, they know they know him, and they, you know, much. And let me just state, I haven't met Hannah or Caden in person. This has just all been on the show <laughs> via email. <laughs> so you know, they're going to have they're going to have ideas about him and know him so much better, you know, with what would work and what wouldn't. So. Stick to that, but no, I, I don't think I, you know, I, I think I would use what you have until a therapist says, hey, this would be better and here's why, so that you've got okay. some good justification there. Does that make sense? It does. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, 
but use the non-preferred thing too, so that if there's something that you, you know, if he's standing there wanting something and and doesn't, you don't know what it is, but you know you probably know what it's not. See what he'll do. Kind of see, and that's the way yeah. to teach no as well. <laughs> I mean, I think okay. he'll learn that pretty quick if he wants a cookie and you're trying to give him a toothbrush, you know, he, or okay. you know, a hairbrush. <laughs> You know, I think that's a good way to work in him telling you no. And no is communicative, and some parents get all flipped out because they say, gosh, you're really teaching him to be negative. We're teaching him to tell me no. No, we're teaching him to communicate because it's just as important for us to know what he doesn't want as what he does Mm -hmm. want. So I think that's a good way to kind of work on that goal, too. And, again, I don't want to overload you with too many too many new things to work on, but I think that's a great way. It's kind of that natural extension of what should come next communicatively. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, good deal. All right, so that is a great, great, oh, gosh, that's such good progress. I just want to come give you a big high five right now because you are (laughs) killing it with how you're able to stay at a level where he can do it. And that's another thing that I think we talked about this on the last show, but I want to be sure that I'm mentioning it on this show. You know, with kids, we can't jump so far forward that they can't get it, and that's why kids look stuck and don't make any progress because the stuff that we're trying is really, really hard. It's too hard. So we have to back way up and work at a level where they can be successful and then think about that next little baby step and that next little baby step and the next little baby step. And it sounds like you guys are just rocking that. So I'm so proud of you all <laughs> for being able to take those ideas and really kind of run with it. So great great job y'all are doing well it was great advice it's working perfectly Uh, oh good deal all right let me give you another i don't know if you read this yet or what your blog what what your go-to blogs are about aac hannah but let me just give some um two that i really like practicalaac.org have you do you have you been on that site yet have you looked at that website yes i have Yeah, that's a really good resource that always kind of keeps us grounded with what's important with AAC and what our next little baby step should be. So that's a good thing. And if you're, I'm sure your therapists know about that, and you already know about it. Uh, But for anybody else listening, that's a good one. And I've had her as a guest on the show before. She's fantastic with, um, and just her her recommendations are great. So it's practicalaac.org. And then a newer one that it's not a new blog, but one that I've just started looking at in the last several months, kidslearnlanguage.blogspot.com, and kids is spelled K-I-D-Z, and then learn language, all one word, .blogspot.com. She's got some great ideas on there, too. So I wanted to mention that uh, just as resources, if you didn't know about that, and certainly for anybody else listening. Those are some great sites that, again, really emphasize functional communication and what's... um, different ways that you can use an AAC device and and keep it as a part of your kind of total communication plan for a kid so that you're always using it. It's not something you just pull out every now and then or not just for one specific purpose. So I I thought I would mention that to make sure that you knew about that. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, so let's talk about, let's see, what have we not talked about that we need to talk about? (laughs) with um, your questions. Let me look at my notes really quick, unless you just want to jump in here. I know that you wanted um, us to discuss the joint attention and if you've made any real progress with that. Um, 
I will just share with everyone that Laura was kind enough to send me her book after we did our last blog or our last podcast. And it's the Let's Talk About Talking. And it is absolutely amazing. It goes through the 11 steps and it just talks about what you should be seeing. And if you're not seeing this, then this is what you could do. And then there's just example after example of activities that you can do. So we went through all of the skills on the podcast. But once I got the book and I really have read all of them, I kind of thought that I was going to go backwards a little bit. We said that maybe we should focus on joint attention, but I've kind of incorporated the just turn-taking with it. Yeah. He can turn-take, but it's we discussed this too. It's it's really only if it's something that he really enjoys. So we've just been doing a lot of get down on the floor and just turn-take back and forth. So examples of that that you provided in the book were to just take blocks and stack them, and it's my turn, then it's his turn. And um, to start it, it was I would build them up, and then he would knock it down, which was something else you recommended, and he thinks that's funny. So he would get engaged that way, and then I slowly would just introduce, now you stack. So um, just doing a lot more things on the floor going back and forth. So the joint attention and the turn-taking I'm kind of doing together. And Perfect. just the fact that his new favorite toy is a car that we have to push back and forth is an example of how much progress he's made there. So. Yay, those are good examples. So let me ask you this. I know, and I'm just going to point this out in case you, um, I want to point this out for anybody listening too, you have given some more good examples of joint attention with him looking at what you're pointing to because if if he didn't really, if he did not notice when you and Dad started all your um you know, your pointing bonanza that y'all were doing for those couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> he must have noticed that. And you did your hand mm-hmm. over hand to help that, but there's that visual component too. So I bet you're seeing him look at you or look to what you're pointing to more often than you were before. Mhm. And that's a great example of joint attention. I mean, that's like the granddaddy example of when, you, yep. when you're pointing at something and then a kid looks to redirect his attention. So he is making some nice gains in that too. And I love that you're pairing that, thinking about that with turn-taking because, you know, that's if, if when a kid is engaged enough with you to turn-take, his joint attention is improving too. So great, great right. point on that. Great, great point on that. All right, let's move. Do you want to talk anything else about joint attention? Something else that could help parents um, that I've read in your manual or the book that you sent me, um, let's talk about talking, was that there are so many distractions in our house. Before, when I would get down on the floor with Caden, I would try to just get Grayson, which is my other child, to to be off to the side doing something else. And you highlighted in the book that the child's going to be there. They need to be doing the activity with you or maybe have them go play in another room. So, And the other distraction that that I've discovered is just having the TV on. Even if I've just got it on the news in the background and it's really quiet, I noticed he was looking at the television, you know, thinking is Mickey Mouse going to come on next. So from your book (laughs) and talking with you, I've turned off the television and Grayson either does the activity with us or if he's too wound up, then I have him go in another room and Caden focuses so much better when there's nothing else going on. I know. And listen, I tell you what, that is kind of an old school recommendation, and those of us who have worked for more than a few years, and you know, who are who were past our fortieth birthdays, we kind of <laughs> said that kind of 
recommendation a lot a long time ago, but that has gotten that has really fallen out of favor. And so many so many programs really emphasize, okay, we've got to bring all the siblings in and don't try to change anything that a family's doing in their home because their home is their home and you really shouldn't give them any directions with what they should be doing with their technology or with don't try try to change any of their routines. So I'm still kind of flying in the face of some of that and saying, okay, if the kid is there, then he does not, if your your other child, the other, you know, five siblings or, you know, the neighbor kids are all in, don't, mm-hmm. if a kid is really struggling with attention and focus, they've either got to be all in or all out, you know, and really yep. play with you and do exactly what you say. And here's the truth, and you may not relate to this, um, because Grayson may not be this way, but sometimes the kids who are typically developing who don't need the attention of the adult demand more of our attention, and then we cannot work with the child that we're supposed to be working with. So it's not that the kid is a little distracted. It's that we are distracted trying to manage Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so sometimes it's better for us not just for the kid, but for us to be able to say, hey, go play or go, you know, go. And that, uh, so many kids that I've seen when I did home visits a lot of times, that's when moms let the other kids really, you know, watch a movie uninterrupted or that's when they got their iPad time or whatever. And it's something that they didn't get to do all the time. It was something that was really special or mom you know, had a, just a certain bag of toys that the, the four-year-old only played with when his baby brother or sister oh, that's a good idea. needed to work with her or work with a the therapist. So that I love that you brought that up. And, again, for some younger therapists who were listening, that you're thinking, oh, I just don't want to step on a family's toes. You know, I sometimes would say to parents, you know, about the – and everybody, you know, has – we all have giant TVs, and, you know, who can't just watch the newest thing that's coming on when that's available in the room? Yeah, but I really would say to parents, look, you're going to have to turn that off because it's just way too distracting mm-hmm. for me. And I know that it is uh, for this child, too. And so let me just empower younger therapists or a therapist who, again, you're trying so hard not to infringe on a family's home and all that. Just just say to a parent, let's try it with the TV off, and let's just see if we can get some better results or some better attention. So I love that you brought that up. So that's a again, it's one of those really simple recommendations that sometimes we are reluctant to uh, say to parents. And then as a mom, you just kind of forget it because, like you said, you're turning the volume down, or you're thinking it's the news. He's not going to be interested in that. And then lo and behold, right. it is very distracting, and we try it without it, and we get much better results. And then you don't have to convince anybody after that because you mm-hmm. see that they're responding better and that you are less distracted. And, again, same thing with having the additional children present. Sometimes we just need to do everything we can to really control the environment with what's controllable <laughs> and turning off the mm-hmm. TV and sending a sibling away um, sometimes are the very best things we can do. So thank you for making those really good, good points. And, again, uh, moms need to hear that from moms sometimes, not from their therapists. So thank you, Hannah, for that recommendation. Well, and if if any moms are listening, think of that too. And I, I've always tried to do this because working in acute care, I'm the same way. There's times that families can be in the room and it's very distracting when I'm trying to work with patient 
and sometimes you just have to ask them to leave. But as a therapist, you don't you don't want to have to do that. So moms that are listening, if your child's receiving speech therapy or occupational therapy or physical therapy and there's a lot of other siblings that are running around and being wild and loud, try to take it upon yourself to get them into another area, a different room, and quiet it down so the therapist can, can really focus and your child can focus because it does make a big difference. It does make a big difference. So let me say one more thing about that. Once the kid, here's what happens a lot. The kid needs that really controlled environment to master that new skill, and then once they got it, they got it. And then you bring right. other kids back in. Then you have the background distractions, and it won't be forever. But just think about how hard it is to learn something new. I mean, my my brain, I am highly distractible. And so if I'm trying to focus on something, you know, reading a recipe, uh, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, when everybody's here, and I, so many times I have to just send people out of the kitchen and say, please, I cannot concentrate when you guys are carrying on like that. And so it's just <laughs> the same kind of thing. So if, you know, And, for, again, for therapists who are reluctant to want to make that recommendation, it doesn't have to be forever. It's just when they're mastering that new skill, and then you can, then mm-hmm. you can bring all those other fun, important people back. But for the time being, <laughs> That's that's a good way to do it. All right, let's move on real quick and talk about receptive language. Now, this is a, a strength for Caden because he does understand so much more than he can say, and he is mm-hmm. following lots of one-step directions, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. And you said his school speech pathologist has bumped him up, so now they're working on some other things that are uh, a little – harder with some two-step commands and really some picture identification. And that's really important for him because I do think he'll use the device, you know, mm-hmm. for, a, for a while, uh, you know, maybe forever. And so it is important that he learns to really identify pictures and link mm-hmm. meaning with pictures. So that's fantastic that you're working on that. But you asked me for some other you said, too, that he's just started working on identifying action and verb pictures, and so any other suggestions for receptive language goals? Right. So one thing I wanted you to do, since you have that book, let's talk about talking in the last little section of the receptive language chapter. I think that's skill number seven. I don't have it right in front of me. But that right in that back little section, there's a whole list of receptive language milestones that toddlers should master, and I think in this book it just goes up to 36 months, and Caden's a little bit older than that. But what I would do is really just kind of look at that, Hannah, and and just figure out what what does he understand and what doesn't he understand, and then just really focus on those skills. And that's what's been so successful for y'all when you, you know, when he's not pointing, you taught him how to point with you know, a lot of exposure to seeing pointing and then just that hand over hand, and then you've created the opportunities for him to learn how to do it. And so that's the same kind of model that you'll use for those next little receptive language goals. Let me just say, too, with working on just in general, make sure that he understands a lot of different uh, verbs and prepositions. And there's some good lists in Let's Talk About Talking, and I would just look at those words and say, you know, just take that vocabulary list and... <laughs> Here's how I do it. I just do it in play with the kids. So if we were with Caden, I would probably have, um, I know that he's not really into a lot of different toys, but if I were with him and I would probably have like a Mickey Mouse character or some other kind of doll or something that he likes, and I would just do a, go through that list. Hug Mickey, kiss Mickey, can Mickey jump, make Mickey go to sleep, give Mickey a drink, 
you know, and just kind okay. of informally test and assess which of these action words or just as you're going through your day and see, okay, you know, the verb on there is draw, you know, and just say, just, you know, have have the material there and say, Caden, let's draw, or Caden, do you want to draw? And see if he seems like, even without the contextual cues or the nonverbal cues with, you know, the markers and the paper laying there, just kind of feel them out and see what he understands and what he doesn't. And so that's where I would start with verbs and prepositions because it makes such a big difference with a kid's ability to follow commands when he has mastered um, additional parts of speech beyond nouns or names of things, labeling things. So that's, I think that's a great focus, and I, I think you all are right that on the work on that is certain. I'm looking at this list that's in your manual, and that's perfect. Um, he can do a lot of it, but I'm just thinking, and this is more for therapists to think about, um, because I remember back in my grad school days working with kiddos, and you're assessing them, and you would use your um, your formal assessment, and they can't do something. But the mom says, yes, they do that at home. They can do that, but they won't do it for you. Caden, right. because of initiation, like with some of that stuff that you were saying to do, you know, put out put out Mickey and see if he'll uh-huh. give him a drink, see if he'll give him a bite. He won't do it unless I cue him to do it. But I know he knows but, what taking a drink and getting a bite is. But we're working on receptive language. We're working on receptive language, so the cues are perfect. So you okay. want to see how does he follow a verbal direction. So in this context, okay. the cue is exactly what he needs because you're just okay. assessing what receptive language, what does he understand and what he doesn't understand. So in okay. that situation, it's actually absolutely what you're looking for. So don't worry about that in that context. For him, I think the hump is going to be play. And that, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of his play, um, his, his, his progress with play, a lot of that's really tied to his motor um, delays. And so yeah. you're going to have to really work with his OT on um, well, let me just ask you this. What does he do? What kinds of toys do they play with? Or what is he working on in OT, Hannah? Are they doing any functional play? Oh, yeah. Um, she does all kinds of toys. She gets Play-Doh out, and they, um, like, this is an activity that she did with him right before Christmas that made me think of something to do with him. She was using Play-Doh, and she had, like, a rolling pin, and they were rolling out the Play-Doh and then taking cookie cutters and act, acted like they were uh-huh. making cookies and things. And I thought, I watched her and thought I had no idea that he could do that. So then we made Christmas cookies, which I would have never Mm -hmm. had him do. But um, they stack blocks, they string beads, they try to zip zippers. um, Yeah. um, Yeah. So she's working that, she's working his fine motor practice into tons of functional uh, everyday activities plus really fun play things. So talk to her and say... (laughs) You know, I'm having a, and I know she already knows this because she knows him pretty well. She's seen him for a while, right? Yes, yes. And say, okay, at home, this is where I'm going with this. Another question, and so, okay, let's let's wrap up with receptive language before we move on to this. With receptive language, uh, are you comfortable with all that, with just kind of figuring out yes. what verbs and what prepositions he really understands and then going with it from mm-hmm. there? And remember, in this context, it is perfect to cue and to say, do this, do that, do whatever, because we're measuring receptive language, not just kind of what he can do on his own. All right, and, and let me say one more right. thing about this before we move on to the play piece. 
Um, anything that I know you said that his therapist, one of the goals that they're working on is identifying pictures from a field of four and that they're starting to work on identifying actions and pictures. Anytime he doesn't seem to understand an action in a picture, like he misses it over and over and over, you've got to back up and teach it in, in real life. So you can't just say, you know, who's, sleeping and then let him miss it like five or six times in a row, we've got to really think, oh, I've got to make this more real life for him. And so I, when I'm trying to get kids to identify pictures, action words and verbs, I do a lot of anytime they miss something, you know, I'm really jotting that note down and I make sure that the next time we're playing, I'm demonstrating that action a lot in play. Okay. And so, again, you can do it with the character. You can do it with just real life. So if he um, doesn't understand, if, if he's looking at pictures and, you know, the thing is who's dancing, show me who's dancing. And if he misses that a few times, you've got to say, well, on some level he does not understand this, so we're going to dance, <laughs> you know, for okay. four days. We're going to dance until he knows this <laughs> word. And so really make sure that everybody's kind of focused on that. And mention that to a speech pathologist because I'll just tell you, when a kid kind of is, is you know, older preschool or even certainly once they get to be elementary age, sometimes we don't make things, we don't back up enough and we don't realize, gosh, it's not that he just is being a stinker and not identifying this picture. He really, and he may understand the word kind of in context at home, like if all of you, if the music is on and all of you are dancing, he understands dance then, but it's just so far removed to look at it with a picture, he doesn't understand that concept. So you've really, really got to got to make sure that he gets it and links that meaning. So be sure that you're kind of doing that. Okay. Okay, with receptive language. All right, let's move on. We only have a few more minutes. This this other question that you asked was so great that I wanted to be sure that we're talking about that. And you said, let me find your wording here. You said, um, he only enjoys watching Mickey and playing with light-up and music toys on his own. So if I'm busy doing something else, he's just zoning out. He won't play with other toys by himself. I know he gets too much screen time, but it's the only way to keep him happy so that I can do other things. What should I do? Should I just keep him with me with whatever I'm doing? I try to have him help me dry dishes, et cetera, but he tires of it quickly and begins to whine. This is a big, common issue <laughs> with, uh, you know, and you're talking about, gosh, you know, what am, I, what am I to do? You know, I've got other two other kids to take care of and dishes and laundry and all these other things. But, you know, with language learning, and I, I say this, I just kind of, you know, beat my drum for this and let's talk about talking. When a kid has a language delay, it's you can't let them zone out for a lot of the day. And I know that you're not. And let me just say, when you have to use screen time so that you can do other things, do not beat yourself up for it. It is what he likes. It is certainly, we all do it. Reduce it when you can, but when you can't, just let that go. But otherwise, the biggest recommendation and the biggest change that parents tell me that that the the biggest the best piece of advice is just keep them with you, so that if you're in the kitchen, you have them in the kitchen, and so they're not off kind of stemming by themselves in the bedroom, you know, with a light up toy, or they're not just you know watching a two-hour movie without any other kind of real person interaction. And so just try to think, 
what's this next little thing that I can do? I would, um, even if he's with you but playing with a light-up toy, you're still able to talk to him. You're still able to interact with him. You're still able to get him to stop, and you take a turn with it and then give it right back, even if you're doing something okay. else. So just try to keep him with you. And then just think of other things that would engage him, you know. But And that's going to be a lot easier said than done as we're standing here or, you know, here on the phone kind of talking about it, it would be uh, if I were there in your house (laughs) with you, we would just kind of go room to room. And I would say, okay, when you're in here, tell me what your problems are. Tell me, you know, do you fold clothes on the bed? You know, what are some things, if you're in your bedroom, let's think of two or three other things that you can keep him with you in here engaged in doing and just kind of go through that with a real kind of problem-solving thing well I could have him play in this cabinet or I could make sure that I'm bringing this toy in that he sort of likes and then I could sort of talk to him about it or we could do a little turn-taking game here with this that and the other and just think about it too in baby steps you know even if he gets even if he just drives the dishes with you two minutes today if you keep Mm -hmm. at it next month he may stay with you five whole minutes before he wants to leave (laughs) and the month after that it might be 15 minutes and that's how you got to look for that progress you know what i mean right but yeah i mean that makes good sense i mean it's better for him if he's going to zone out with a toy at least have him be with me so we can turn take and talk about it or sing a song or something rather than just what he'll do and what i was doing before we were putting all of the toys out of his reach was we wanted him to have different things that he could do that he enjoyed so we had a lot of his favorite light-up toys just placed around the house that he could easily get to so he'd walk up to one and then just stand there and lean over it and push it over and over and over again so we're not allowing that anymore so we're getting a lot more whining (laughs) And, you know, it's just kind of the necessary evil that comes in between because he's not going to be able to blurt out, Mom, stop cooking dinner and come get this down for me. You know, there's going to be some in between there. Right. <laughs> so you're just going to have to suffer for a little bit in between. But it is better for him to be in the same room with you and zoning out than totally by himself and zoning out. And, again, other therapists, you may, I may get, you know, little – emails that chastise me for giving that advice, but it is how I really, really feel. Because then you can at least talk to them. And it's a necessary kind of in-between step. I mean, I wouldn't say to you, just for your own sanity, put up all of those toys right now today and never use them again, because that's completely unrealistic. And the other thing is he's going to have to get some play skill development before he's ever going to be able to do keep himself busy with any other kind of more traditional play. He's got to, he's got to build some skills there because he has some fine motor mm-hmm. delays. And so talk yep. with your OT about, you know, okay, you know, you're working on this. You tell me how I can do this at home. You tell me how we can make this a little bit more independent for him so that he can do this while I am uh, you know, nursing the baby, or tell me how what he can do with this while I am on the phone. And so really say those specific things because there may be some modifications that she should say, oh, or, or she may say, oh, don't try this yet. He's nowhere near being able to do this independently. Why don't you try it this way? And so she's going to be able to give you, I bet, some additional things. Other thing that I wanted to mention that's in Let's Talk About Talking is working on deconstruction with a toy. So that a lot of times if you teach a kid how to take a toy apart, 
they will stay busy with that for a long time but and need that little step before they learn how to put it together. So instead of having him put rings on like a ring stacker, teach him how to, you know, his part is taking them off and then your part's putting them back on. Or teach him, okay. he's not doing puzzles or anything like that yet, is he? Just the ones with knobs on them. And like that's knobs. fine. And, so, and will he do those by himself? No. Okay. So see what I would do. So can and can he take the pieces out by himself? He can. It's just he doesn't really show interest in it um, if I'm not there really making him play it with me. Okay. So here's what I would do. I would think and flip to that chapter and let's talk about talking because there's a good little list. But think about, okay, I'm going to get these four or five toys, and we're going to work on this, you know, one-on-one, me and him, and we're going to get it where he's got enough skill with this toy, enough mastery, so that even when I'm in the kitchen doing put the puzzle down in front of him and give him a little bowl right there and show him, okay, you know, Caden, look, you take these pieces out and put them in the bowl while mommy does, while I cut the onions and then I'll be right back, you know, that kind of thing. And so you may have to start where you're keeping him with you, but you're still really kind of directing what he's doing, but you're not hands-on right on top of him. And, again, boy, that's easier said than done, and you're not going to be able to accomplish that in a day or two. That's just going to be over time he's going to get better and better with that. After he learns how to do that deconstructive piece or, or whatever toy you're playing with, Master one little part of that, but then do it while you're standing a little bit further away and you're able to say, oh, do this, find the car, put the car in the bowl. Okay, you know, where's the bowl? Get the bowl, put that one in the bowl, and really kind of think about how you can start to expand some of that. And, again, that may not be realistic right now, but it could be something to work toward. Well, I mean, that's that's a perfect example of if I'm doing something in the kitchen, he could set – you know, if I'm trying to cook dinner and I'm standing at the bar, he could be sitting at the bar with me with the puzzle, and I can be telling him to – he'll probably whine yes. at first, but he'll do it if I tell him to. So I could at least have him there with yeah. me doing something productive. So that's great. That's perfect. Yeah, and so think, go through his toys and look at, okay, what could I get? What What would he be able – to do if I were giving him verbal cues but not necessarily right there on top of him? What could I stand further away? And, again, you might have to play with him one-on-one with something for two or three or four weeks before he would be ready to, for you not to be right there kind of on top of him, showing him what to do with it. But, the, I mean, that's part of skill mastery, just with verbal cues mm-hmm. alone versus hand over hand. And so talk to your OT about that too. Say, you know, this is what I want to do with him. I want to get him some activity so that he's totally not zoning out when I'm having to do other things. And I, I know I know I'm going to have to have an in-between step here where I'm, I can set him up and I can get him going, but I'm going to be able to walk away but just kind of talk him through it. So help me think of some toys that he can do that with. Over time, he'll get more independent with it because he's going to get better at it and he's not going to need you as long. And you're going to be able to pull back your cueing. At the beginning, it might be pretty heavy, but, again, you might look up by summertime and think, my goodness, he's got five or ten toys that he can amuse himself with now that he was not doing in January. So just think about the really simple kind of toys and what might what might work for that. That's perfect. Okay. I've actually I've thought of another one. I don't know. A lot of early intervention therapists may have seen this toy. It's a little pink pig, and it's 
the belly opens up and there's tokens in it. You can put the tokens through yeah. the piggy bank. Anyways, he Perfect. can do that, and that's one that he could sit there and, and do that with. So that's uh-huh. just an example. Yes. So go through his toy box and look and think, you know, what, or his room and think, what kinds of things could I pull together for this? And you know what you might do, Hannah, is save those toys just for when you need him to be occupied like that, where you're still giving him that verbal support, but just, you know, it's, then it's new and exciting if he hasn't seen it in two or three days. It's going to be more enticing than if he just, you know, kicked it ten times while he walked around the house. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yep. <laughs> so make some of those a little bit more exclusive and see see if that doesn't help a little bit too. But don't beat yourself up when you have to use screen time because that's real life and all of us do it. So <laughs> that's fine too. All right, any any other thing that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about before we're done, before we wrap up today and we're done today? I think we covered it all. I think we did too. I'm looking over my notes and I think we got it. So here here's what I want to do. It's January. I want to. Can we do another show like in March or April, and follow sure. up some more and see what's going on at that point? Okay, good deal. All right. Well, thanks again for being a wonderful guest, and I love that these ideas are making a difference for him. And I hope before March and April that I can work out how to meet y'all. So we'll, that that would be exciting yes, too. We'll please. talk more about. It. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. Everybody have a great week, and I'll be back next week with another show. And thanks again, Hannah. Good luck. Thanks for having me.